Welcome to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to The Power of the Letter. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And tonight is Friday, February, what is the date? 19th. There we go. February, January 19th. What am I doing? January 19th. In the year 2024, and jumping ahead in time, that's what I'm doing. Like racing ahead as if I'm in some time warp. That's what it is, January 2019. Patriots, we're in a really interesting time right now in our nation. And it's a time when we have a government that's wantingly doing whatever it desires without any concern for us. We have elites now that are beginning to pander to us to try to convince us that things aren't quite like they seem. We're, we're going to start paying attention to the people but we have a level of corruption and disobedience and a moral bankruptcy within our leadership and within our nation as the people as a whole that's unprecedented. Americans have become accustomed to not standing for anything and expecting someone else to fix it for them. This is the moral bankruptcy. We have law enforcement that goes along with laws and rules that are put together by local commissions that have nothing to do with the Constitution. We have Border Patrol that do nothing but stand aside and claim that they have to because they're being told to when it's against the Constitution. We have people in D.C. that run around making laws and rules that have nothing to do with the Constitution simply because they can. And there's an absolute disregard or even caring for the American public. This is the critical time in our life right now when we have to start making some decisions on how we're going to bring this government literally to its knees. And the challenge to do that is we have to do it legally. And we have to do it righteously, and we have to do it with God. So we're going to talk about all those things tonight. And before we get going tonight, let's keep in mind that we are dealing with psychopath, pedophile elites. Don't be, don't kid yourself under the magnitude of these people's corruption. These are people to a large degree that are owned by foreign intelligence agencies because they like to have sex with kids. These sorts of things make people do crazy things to protect their crimes so that no one will know. Things like an EMP. So... They want to knock out your ability, for example, to be able to communicate, to erase their tracks, to rewrite histories of the web. That's why you need EMPShield.com. We need to be prepared for something they may do to try to disrupt the world and the economies to such a degree that would make it impossible for us to continue and make us subject to their wills. Something like an EMP or even lightning strikes since they love weather warfare or perhaps even an event they're not discussing like some huge solar flare that might be coming. You need EMP Shield. EMPShield.com is where you go. It is an American-made product owned by an it's a veteran-owned company. American tested to the highest standards to survive EMP levels 1, 2, and 3, lightning strikes, and solar flares. You can get one for your house, for your ATVs. You can get one for your RVs. You can get it for your cars, for your solar, solar systems. You can get it for your base station generator or your ham station. They have different products for each application. They're fantastic, easy to install, and well-certified. There's a great resource library for you to check out to discover about the company what they're up to. So check it out. Go to empshield.com, empshield.com. Use your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, 
and get $50 off. You won't be disappointed. They're a great product to have. You should have them throughout your, throughout your living environment to protect us from the potential loss of electronics, which unfortunately we are so heavily dependent upon. So again, empshield.com, promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, $50 off and free shipping. All right, Patriots, I want to begin tonight with a perspective of what's going on over in Davos. Now, there's a shift going on, and what is happening is the elites are beginning to become aware that they've gone too far. And so this discussion at Davos is now to lecture for them to apparently teach each other, which is more about speaking to the world that we have changed, which we know in truth is not true, but they're trying to win back the favor of the people. Take a listen. Let me come back. Kevin, let me come to you because I said I wanted, it's quite good the way the jury set it up. What did the president, what do you think, uh, a President Trump, he's the president from being the former president, but if there were a new President Trump, what uh, does he mean by retribution? Uh, what is the issue calling out very specifically a former attorney general and former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and so on? I mean, it, it sounds very personal. Um, and you said to yourself a minute ago, anyone who's kind of not with the program is not going to be in, in an administration. Um, you know, one thing that Davos, you might say, and the people come here stand up for is liberal democracy. So if the idea that that's going to be swept under the table is part of the idea, hopefully that's not what he means. What do you mean? What do you think he means by retribution? Well, it's laughable that you would or anyone would describe Davos as protecting liberal democracy. It's equally, Standing up for it. It's, it's, it's equally laughable to use the word dictatorship at Davos and, and aim that at President Trump. In fact, I think that's absurd. But I'm going to step aside from that constructive criticism and instead answer your question. Yep. And, and I'm going to be substantive here. President Trump, if he's the next president, for that matter, I think whoever the next conservative president is going to take on the power of the elites, which I've mentioned earlier. But there, the, the thing that I want to drive home here, the very reason that I'm here at Davos, is to explain to many people in this room and who are watching, with all due respect, nothing personal, but that you're part of the problem. Political elites tell the average people on three or four or five issues that the reality is X when, in fact, reality is Y. Take immigration. Elites tell us that open borders and even illegal immigration are okay. The average person tells us in the United States that both rob them of the American way of life. They're right. President Trump will take that on on behalf of the average American. Elites also tell us that public safety isn't a problem in big American cities. Just travel to New York or Washington or Dallas, Texas. The average person will tell you that the lack of public safety damages not just the American way of life, but their life. President Trump will take that on. Thirdly, I guess the favorite at the World Economic Forum is climate change. Elites tell us that we, we have this existential crisis with so-called climate change, so much so that climate alarmism is probably the greatest cause for mental health crisis in the world. The solutions, the average person know, based on climate change, are far worse and more harmful and cost more human lives, especially in Europe during the time that you need heating, than do the problem and the problems themselves. Fourth, two more here, Robin. Okay. The fourth, China, the number one adversary, not just to the United States, but to free people on planet Earth. Not only do we at, at Davos not say that, we give the Chinese Communist Party a platform. Count on President Trump ending that nonsense. And fifth, as we sit here, another supranational organization, the World Health Organization, is discussing 
foisting gender ideology upon the global south. These are practices that are under review, if not being rejected, by countries in Northern Europe. The new president, especially if it's President Trump, will, as you like to say, trust the science. He will understand the basic biological reality of manhood and womanhood. And do you know why? Not because of retribution, not because he's a dictator, but because he has the power of the American people behind him. And it's connected to Senator Portman's excellent point that in addition to needing a vigorous executive, we look forward to having the popular will inform both the House and Senate in 2025 to pass laws on all of those issues and many others. Ultimately, Robin, I think President Trump, if in fact he wins a second term, is going to be inspired by the wise words of Javier Millet, who said that he was in power not to guide sheep, but to awaken lions. That's what the average American and the average free person on planet Earth wants out of leaders. Very clear points, and that'll give a chance for everyone to come back, including on the Q&A. And, uh, so this is an interesting shift in events, because it is a very, it's in, very elite forum to have someone like that allowed to speak. Now, this is my read on this. People have been waking up, and it's been starting to frighten a very critical element of the elites. They're starting to realize that people are gaining power, and worse for them is that people are starting to unite and come together in a common cause and common understanding of the absolute despicable behavior and the things that are bringing this world together are being caused by them. The last thing the elites want to do is to be exposed. So what they need now is a solution. Coming forward in for something like a Davos forum to think that this individual was allowed to come here and speak openly and freely is part of the deception. This is part of the plan, in my opinion. This is now a shift. And what's being told to them is that there are those in the elites, the elites that have run the extreme edge, those that have been willfully part of things like satanic ritual abuse that are probably going to be removed. Now, the question is, is it going to affect the most upper tier of all of this, which would be the head of the pyramid? Probably not. But there is a layer of this which the elites, as I've said many times, the billionaire classes are fighting themselves. And those who are going to win will ultimately be those that will portray to be the voice of the people. There is no question that this is a phase in humanity we have to go through. Let me be clear about this. Because humanity is still deeply broken. The United States is a fantastic example. We have the structures to be the best and the most free country in the world. Yet people willfully comply with tyranny on a daily basis. The examples I gave at the very beginning between border patrol, between local police officers, sheriff's departments that don't stand for their constitutional rights and their foundations are a great example. Some of that is the lack of education. Some of that is a willful desire simply to look out for themselves and not concern themselves for the betterment of the people. We have an, a, an extensive issue going on right now that has to do with an invasion of the United States. And this issue is not getting any better. In fact, it's getting worse. Take a listen to this piece by Tucker Carlson. The story of history is the story of invasions. One group of people moving into someone else's land and taking it. One nation ends, another begins. Invasions drive history. Few Americans understand this is happening to them right now. The United States of America is being invaded. For the love of God, this is a damn invasion. Who is allowing this? They invaded our privacy. I think it's an invasion of the country. In other words, it's ending. The country you grew up in no longer exists. Soon it will be unrecognizable. No one is fighting back. Few are even acknowledging it. And the people who lead us 
are letting it happen. <laughs> Why are leaders letting this happen? Well, to destroy the country and to change the demographics. Who lives here determines what the country's like. This country is changing faster than you may understand. Americans are being replaced. That's not a conspiracy theory, it's a fact. In August of 2023, illegal immigration outpaced American births, a brand new population. Last year alone, over three million people came here illegally just over our southern border. The media won't tell you it's happening, but if you look around, you can see it, and you can see it most clearly in our cities, which are collapsing. We elect people to protect us. That's what politicians are paid to do. But they've done the opposite. They've sold us out, and they've crushed what our ancestors built. Take a look at our cities. They're hellish, and immigration is the reason. The city of Chicago was in tough shape even before Joe Biden opened the border. Now, parts of it are basically uninhabitable. Even the socialist mayor of Chicago says the city is breaking under the strain. Without real significant um, investment from our federal government, it won't just be the city of Chicago that won't be able to maintain this mission. It's the entire country that is now at stake. The Illinois Chicago's politicians may complain about illegal immigration in public, but in private, they're paying for it with your money. They're spending more on illegal aliens than on their own citizens. They're doing this secretly. They're hiding it from the public. Our team uncovered a shadow terminal, for example, inside Chicago O'Hare Airport. Hundreds of migrants were being hidden there secretly. Our team pulled up with cameras rolling. And at first, we didn't see much. The city erected a black tarp to hide what was going on. The motive was simple. They didn't want us to see it. And a third-party security group paid for with your tax dollars told us that was prohibited. We weren't allowed to see. What are you doing? I want to look inside. For what? For what? They weren't local or federal law enforcement, so we ignored them. They had no authority. They were rent-a-cops. Inside, our team found more than 100 beds on the floor. The smell was overpowering, repulsive. It was filthy. But it's not just airport terminals that have been given over to people who've come here illegally from the poorest countries in the world, without permission, criminally, and yet being supported in every detail of their lives by taxpayers. No, even police stations in Chicago have been turned into refugee camps. This is new video never seen before of what's actually happening inside Chicago's police stations. Keep in mind, the people who work in those police stations are paid to protect you, but that's not what they're doing. They're running refugee camps for illegal aliens. As our cameramen approached the Chicago police precinct in the city's downtown to see what was happening inside, you see people come out, illegal aliens, shooting in the middle finger and yelling. They didn't hide their hostility. Many other illegals have been pushed into poorer, predominantly black neighborhoods on the south side. We went there. We spoke to someone who has lived on the south side of Chicago virtually his entire life. He's enraged by how the city has fallen apart under its sanctuary city policy. Andre Smith, CEO of Chicago Against Violence. I don't know the count, but I know that the readiness, the language of sanctuary city, state, and county should have had a plan, but it led to a massive destruction. I have seen almost the worst of the worst in Chicago, but seeing this migrant crisis was the most devastating thing that I ever seen. You live in America, the place you grew up, the place you'd like to see your children grow up. 
in much the way that you did. But that won't be possible because of the single greatest sellout in our history. Hundreds of years of America eliminated by an invasion that our leaders made possible. You should know that. And they made it possible by your taxpayer dollars. What we spoke about last night was the fact that we are paying for this. And every time you give yourself a pat on the back because you do your taxes, because you pay your taxes, because you pay your taxes on time, or even worse, pay your taxes ahead, thanks for joining the problem. You're paying this for this problem. Every person in America right now that's paying their taxes is paying for this invasion. And it's time that we start to take these authorities back and understand what's going on. Now, what I discussed last night were legal ways to defer your tax payments. That has to do with legal extensions that the IRS offers to every American, and then even a second extension. That would mean your payments don't go in until October, and then you have a second extension, which gives you approximately two more months. We are having an election year. All, this, all bets right now are on President Trump to win. No surprise. But when you start to look at the moral bankruptcy and the lack of moral character in our nation, you start to realize that this nation isn't going to be fixed by a simple administration. People in the United States have given up. They have come to a place where they accept that it's seeking for themselves is better than trying to fight for something greater, which our founding fathers gave their lives for. This is a sick time. The Declaration of Independence ends with some very critical words, words that we need to remember. And it says in the end in there, it says, and for the support of this declaration, we affirm reliance on the protection of a divine providence. We mutually pledge to each other, our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. On the 1st of January, a letter was submitted to the, to the world. It was a letter, an open letter called the Declaration of Military Accountability. On that letter were 231 signatories who have done just this. We have pledged our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor for the sake of the nation to restore the military. It was a letter. In the history of our United States, letters have made a significant difference. And it's important to understand the importance of the letter in a time when people actually did read. Unfortunately, in this day and age, people don't read a lot. One of the profound stories of letters was Jefferson and Adams. They were our presidents. Jefferson was our Jefferson was, and Adams were our second and third president. They both also died on the same day, which is interesting. They died on July 4th, 1826, exactly 50 years since they had approved the Declaration of Independence. They had had correspondence for years between themselves, and that correspondence broke off because one ran against the other in the presidential race, and they broke off a friendship. The point of this is that letters were critical in building their relationship. The separation was critical in the letters that they exchanged to break a friendship, letters had meaning. Words had meaning. Words had power and intention. In this day and age, our versions of letters are things like Twitter posts. And because of the electronic medium, we don't value the letters like we used to. They become just something that's transient. One letter today is forgotten and rarely is a post remembered past 24 or 48 hours. Our retention is low. Our ability to write meaningful and lasting letters is limited. New, new youth coming up in school don't even know how to write cursive. And so the, all they know how to do is send digital medium. There's no legacy in the importance of letter writing. One of the great correspondence of letters on, on, on our history is John and Abigail Adams. Those letters were over 1,100 letters between them that during their courtship in 1762 in which they described all things, John's political career, what was going on in the, in the, in the lead up to the revolution, 
All of these things were discussed in letters, and they became a historical record. They became a rich understanding of what was going on in the time. They became influence even today. People that read the letters of John and Abigail Adams get to a glimpse into the time in history, what was going on, and they can influence even our perceptions of where things are today. But today, again, it's digital medium. Our version of letters are more things like video blogs or, or podcasts, like, to, like we just listened to from Tucker Carlson. When we look at the importance of letters, we can go back even before the American War of Independence and a letter between Ben Franklin and his friend William Strahan. This was a very important correspondence to those two hands. Strahan was a prominent printer, publisher, and member of the British Parliament. But at the point when Strahan supported the change to noting that the American patriots were now going to be considered rebels, Benjamin Franklin sent him a blistering letter in which he challenged him to look at himself and look at the blood that was on his hands and his relatives and broke off that friendship. These letters become significant in history. They were handwritten. They were delivered. They meant something. And again, here we are today in a situation where our letters are emails in the thousands and the millions every day, and literally, and most of them stack up in an email box. Mine is a good example. Today, I received over 500 texts today that I'll try to go through by the end of tonight. And those aren't letters, but they're elements of where we've taken writing too. So what of my point of this is really critical is we are lacking the mechanisms anymore to influence people the way we used to. A handwritten letter that was sent to Benjamin or to, uh, to Abraham Lincoln by Grace Bedell, who was 11 years old, influenced him in a single letter to grow a beard. In fact, what Grace Bedell told him is that if he would grow a beard, she thought she could get her brothers to vote for him. Abraham Lincoln actually replied in person, reminding her he didn't have any daughters because, because Grace Bedell had asked him if, he could, if she could have maybe one of his daughters respond. He responded himself, but when he finally met her at Westfield in 1861, Abraham Lincoln was growing a beard. Letters had had tremendous impact. They meant something in our history. They mean something in the history of man. But in today's era, letters are reduced to emails, which gets digitally trashed or dumped as quickly as possible. When we do letter writing campaigns, we try to do focus on themes. We get people to write letters, but now people don't even write letters. We have to do template letters. Some people simply sign, put it in an envelope and send. When we do email campaigns, typically these end up in some sort of specialized file that can be quickly sorted through by software and then erased and then given a templated letter to respond because part of the law in the United States is that they're supposed to retain these letters to look at them when correspondence goes to to the White House or to the Congress. We're looking for mechanisms now to communicate the, the rage and the frustration that we have in our Congress to the people that should be representing our vote that we know, quite frankly, are owned and controlled. Now, in speaking of giving some more context to this, which I think is really important, is to understand the magnitude of disruption that has happened. There's a post that was put up today by Genghis Khan. It goes by Genghis underscore Khan 911. And it is an important understanding of the magnitude of what we're dealing with here. What this post lays out is the importance of Epstein Island to controlling our entire Congress. Israel has run the largest pedophile and child sex trafficking ring in the world. For those of you that are worshiping Israel, thank you very much for promoting that. This is run by Mossad and is supported by the leadership of Israel. What this was intended to do and has done very successfully is it has captured with blackmail material 
every single leader in our nation that's important and including other nations around the world. This has give, given Israel an unprecedented ability to leverage its power through blackmail simply because they took the desires and the most horrible desires of leaders to have sex with children. They took them to, to Epstein Island where they filmed them and then were able to use that on all ranks and levels within the society, be it generals in the military, be it congressmen, senators, be it CEOs, or even judges and lawyers. They've owned it. They've controlled the field, and therefore they've been able to manipulate politics to steer the, a nation into war, use our people to fight its wars, use our resources to build it up, and to, to build an Israel that is greater in power than any other country in the world, and it's ruthless in what it does because it uses children at the core of its horrors to gain power. All of these things limit the ability for any sort of communication to work. We can protest all day long and the senators simply look away because they know very well, or congressmen for that matter, they know very well that at the end of the day, what's greater than that is a blackmail piece of material that holds them and binds them to whatever policies these intelligence agencies want them to function. Ultimately, it leads to Israel. They want them to do because if they don't, they'll be, their life will be revealed as having raped or worse a young child. That's the truth of our world. And so the ability for us to communicate, our ability to, uh, for us to make impact on our leadership has become not only diminished, it is, not, it is absolutely not able to move us forward in any way positively in our nation. Our nation is captured, and we the people are set with few options. And the one option they want us to execute is the option of the Second Amendment. What they want us to do is to go to civil war so that they can then declare openly the need to go to martial law. They can then call for help from the UN. They've already paralyzed our military. Our military leadership currently would sell us out and we would end up with foreign troops on our soil and the country would be lost forever. And everybody that would be considered MAGA or otherwise would be rounded up and sent away. This is their dream. This is what they're trying to do. And they're trying to push every button possible to push people to the point of being fused and being set off. And unfortunately, with that goes a long ways to a lot, a lot of people currently that are so brainwashed, so controlled, that no matter what we do, they can't hear anything that's going on. They can't hear the truth. They can't hear what's going on. They can't listen to us because the only place they're told to go is to go and listen in the media. They're told to listen to what the media tells us. They're told to listen to the things that the media tells us to do. And in so doing, we're left in a place where we have a mass of people that are literally slaves to a system, and a system that is using us and abusing us for their benefit. This is a very difficult time. I want you to hear this piece, another piece of the CEOs becoming aware, the banksters becoming aware of the waking up of people. Take a listen to this. This is J.P. Morgan CEO on the U.S. economy. You've got this great hand, but when people say MAGA, they're actually looking at people voting for Trump, and they think they're voting, and they're basically scapegoating them, that you are like him. Uh, and, but I don't think they're voting for Trump because of his family values. Now, if you look, just take a step back, be honest. He's kind of right about NATO, kind of right about immigration. Mm-hmm. He grew the economy quite well. China, Trade, China ta- virus. Tax reform worked. Mm-hmm. He was right about some of China. I don't, th- I don't like no, what he did. No, I said China virus. Yeah, I understand. When he, when yeah. he may have been right. He, he, and I don't like how he said things about I Mexico. I don't like. But he wasn't wrong about some of these critical issues. And that's why they're voting for him. 
And, and I think people should be a little more respectful of our fellow citizens. And when you guys have people up here, you should always ask the why. Not like it's a binary thing. You're supporting right. Trump. You're not supporting Trump. Why are you supporting Trump? It's hard to Trump? hate 75 million of your fellow Americans. And it's, I, I agree. It's done quite and, you know, the it. Democrats have done a pretty good job with the deplorables, not, hugging onto their Bibles and their beer and their guns. I mean, really? Like, can we just stop that stuff and actually grow up and treat other people with respect and listen to them a little bit? Jimmy, and, and I do think the economy will affect. And I think this, this negative talk about MAGA is going to hurt Biden's election. Don't even know why aren't let's talk very today. realistically about what that looks like. So let's talk very realistically about what that looks like. What he is talking about right now is a realization that the political force in power is MAGA or some associated with that. The people that surrounded Trump and woke up across this nation, which they're collectively calling MAGA, has become a force of change. And they're very well aware of it. And they're very concerned about it because they had tried to isolate it. They tried to eliminate it, but they can't get rid of it now. And worse yet, thanks to the vaccine, the death shot, the ones that took it the most were the base that they were counting on. So they're losing that as well. It's a very important things to understand in the criticality where we're at for their leadership because their leadership is highly vulnerable. And we are dealing with masses of people right now that openly just obey and don't listen. So our voice has been curtailed. Our voice has been muted. And even though now they're talking, talking to us saying, hey, don't worry, Trump will fix it. Don't worry, Trump will fix it. You've heard that on two different interviews now, completely dis disassociated. Trump will fix this. The question is, what will Trump really fix? I'm not, I'm not, if you're a Trump supporter or not a Trump supporter is irrelevant. The fact of the matter is he is one man. And though he may have all sorts of key people around him, the fact of the matter is that we are dealing with a moral disruption, destruction of, of character in this country where people literally and are willfully every day going along with a satanic agenda and ruining our country and violating the Constitution. So the real issue is how do we make an effect that shakes the world up? And that takes us right to one of the most important people that did this in our history. He's the one who developed nonviolent resistance. Nonviolent resistance is also known as Satyagraha, Satyagraha in India, in Indian. And Satyagraha was developed by Mahatma Gandhi. He didn't like the idea of passive resistance. He liked the idea of nonviolent resistance, which means you're active in the fight and you have to start being doing something that is relevant and shaking up a nation. The problem with America, though, is getting people to literally do something is a big problem because people are still afraid. J January 6th was very successful in putting fear in people's hearts and people are afraid of stepping out. They're afraid of going to protest. And we've seen the effect of protests. Protests don't do much. If we go to the Washington Mall and just plan on them infiltrating and turning us all into prisoners again. If we do truck rallies and we shut down the government for a while, ultimately economics call that we can't stay there indefinitely and we have to pull off, and they know that. At the same time, they're not left with any residual effects of this, and they can continue on their merry way to do things. What they want us to do is go to violence. They want us to use our militias or use our organized citizens armed with guns to take over their capital so they can call upon the military then to come in and arrest and kill Americans, and they would, and don't think our military won't do it. Because under its current leadership, it would just slather at the idea of being able to kill fellow patriot Americans while they install more communists and foreigners in our ranks. So it ultimately comes down to what type of action can we do that can make an effect. Last night we spoke of one. If Americans currently had the courage to do this, but the consequence of taking an action of not paying taxes gets many people afraid. 
People are fearful that they're going to be rounded up, their house is going to be, be foreclosed upon, that you're not going to have a good credit rating. All the things that ultimately in a country of tyranny don't make any difference, but unfortunately, America is a decadent society. It's become weakened. Men are weak. Women have, are trying to struggle and survive. There's a lot of disruption in our nation. There is no more will to fight for a nation. And yet there's a powerful remnant out here that needs to make an impact. And we're trying to ask ourselves, what, how? So let me propose to you something tonight, something that I think would be rather stunning if it was to happen. And of course, this is a fictional idea, just a thought. But it would be amazing if this organically blew up and it would able to literally stop the entire government and every state government within a year. And by the way, this is legal. This is totally legal, and it's ethical, and all it takes for you to do is to write a letter. So follow me on this. It doesn't matter what your letter of protest is as long as there is no accusation or threat. Simply voice your objection to something that's bothering you. Makes no difference. But what we need, and we're going to use for tonight, we need a number of people. For the number we're going to use tonight is 1 million people. 1 million patriots out of 330 million residents in the United States, I think that's probably quite plausible. And I would argue that there's probably 1 million Christians out here that could commit themselves to doing 10 letters a day. That's all it takes, 10 letters a day. And we would do this for the sake of one year. Now, that sounds like a pretty, pretty hearty commitment, some of the cost of stamps, but I'm sure that between the collective body of 1 million people, the cost of stamps could be covered for those that can't afford and those who can't. And it doesn't take anything more than even a postcard if you want to do that. Letter or, letter or postcard. And here's, here's the number and here's the volumes. We begin with something like the Senate. There's 100 members of the Senate. Each person, each day, writes to a senator, one of 10 senators each day. That means that every day, 10 senators are getting a, a, a million letters. And you do that over 10 days. That means that at the end of 10 days, every senator in D.C. has received 1 million letters. It doesn't matter what the letters say. Because what we have to understand, and in this day and age, they don't read. They find ways around reading. What we're talking about now is using the power of the tradition of letter writing to clog a system and to shut a system down. We're talking about logistics. This is about unconventional warfare, of how to make a point to our nation that a few can bring it to a halt and do it by simply sitting in our home and writing letters. We begin with one million letters per day to every congressman and every senator, and that goes to the 100, and that's done in 10 days. That means there's 100 million pieces of mail that's delivered to D.C. Then we pivot, and we go to 100 generals that are in the Pentagon, and we write to them, and over the course of the next 10 days, there's 100 million pieces of mail that's delivered to the Pentagon, and then we pivot, and then you go to our friends at the IRS, and we target 100 people in the IRS, and we send them to a, a letter, one million letters to each one every single day, so that at the end of 10 days, the IRS receives 100 million pieces of mail over and over. And we do this and to where we pivot this even now to go to the states and we begin with state capitals and we start with whatever you want to do. We could, we could identify, but we'd have to do this in an organized fashion so that it's done all at once. So say, for example, you begin with Alaska. And so the state capital would receive 100 million pieces of mail at the state capital. And maybe the theme is nothing more than immigration, that we're tied, we're tired of the illegal immigration. 
And then we pivot, say, to Hawaii. And then we pivot, say, to Washington and then Oregon and then California and then Idaho and then Nevada and then Arizona and Utah and New Mexico and Colorado and Montana, Nebraska. Every state capital over the next 50 weeks, every it's actually 500 days, gets 1 million pieces of mail. And that's just if we have a static group of a million letter writers. And let's do the math on this. That means that in a, in a year's time, there are almost 5 billion pieces of mail mailed to government agencies or capitals. 5 billion. This is done simply from people's home. You're writing a note to say your objection, and it's 10 letters a day. Now, if those numbers were to increase, for example, let's say this effort mobilized 10 million people, those numbers start to get crazy. They start to get really insane because now when we start to talk about 10 million people, if we could get 10 million patriots involved, now we're talking about 100 million pieces of mail a day. You see how this works? This is, this is economies of scale. And this is where instead of worrying about what the content of the letter is, we start worrying about what the volume of the letter is to every single person we want to target. And it goes personal. This isn't about trying to go after an agency. This is about going directly after individuals that we want to communicate to. And the messages can be different. You might be upset about immigration. Someone else might be upset about taxes. Voice it. Let them know. But the fact of the matter is that there's a million pieces of mail arriving at their doorstep that are all mailed on the same day. And that's coordinated easily just by giving a target list that we listed on Monday. You're going to write these 10 on Tuesday. You'll write these 10 and there's the names and there's the 10 addresses. And we just simply go down the list. And this is a, what we would call a nonviolent resistance. As we move forward with this, the volume of mail in the system, as we get more people in, moving, will start to draw down the capacities of the system to even function. DC does not have the warehouse space to handle 300 million pieces of mail, though they'll probably tell us they do. The fact of the matter is that's an overwhelming volume of mail for every senator. We could go to every congressman and do the same thing. And you can increase it. If, we want to, if people wanted to increase to 20 letters a day, that's fine. But 10 seems to be very manageable. And it seems to be something people could get their head around and be committed to. And just like we spend, say, you should be spending, say, an hour a day in the Bible, we just spend an hour a day or even 15 minutes a day writing 10 letters, writing on the letters, the hand address of each one, putting a stamp on it and putting it in your bail box. That's it. This is a measure of using the system against itself. Just like I talked about last night, that in paying your taxes, just use an extension. Use the extension and put the extension so that money is not delivered to them until next October. That's a legal action. It's on their website. You can read about it. They'll tell you all these sorts of things about it. But every American citizen is allowed an extension. And if you go to H&R Block site, you'll read that every American is also allowed a second extension, which, by the way, all you have to do for a second extension is to write the excuse or the reasoning behind it to the IRS. Now, I want you to imagine being somebody in the IRS. I want you to imagine an agency that loves to be anonymous, doesn't like to have any faces put to the horrors in which they do it to the American people. And I want you to suddenly imagine that your name shows up with a million pieces of mail. And I want you to think about how you feel as a faceless bureaucrat that's now been identified by a million people. Now I want you to imagine having that happen a hundred times within the IRS agency. And I want you to imagine the disruption that it happens emotionally there. And as they process these million, million pieces of mail a day coming into the IRS, I want you to imagine what it means in mail going out. 
See, this is the problem that they have is it's not just mail coming in because it's the post office is bringing mail in and they're having to deal with their own post rooms in every one of these federal agencies. They have to process the mail coming in while they're trying to process the mail going out. Ultimately, we end up with a blockade. And this becomes a blockade and where the functioning of the system ceases to work. It goes to gridlock and overwhelming the number of mail. And you can expect some sort of public announcement to say, please, public, don't mail us anymore, in which case you double down and you mail them twice as much. Everything that they do, we double down on. And the whole point of this is to overwhelm the system simply by giving our voice through letter. Don't use email because it's too easily to, to clear up, to dispose of. Don't use a phone call because it simply goes to voicemail and they erase them. Use a hard letter that takes a human being to hold, that takes a human being to carry, takes a truck to transport, takes a human being to stack, and it takes warehouse spaces to hold, and it requires by law that they have to go through them and respond to every one. This is how you create gridlock in a system. And with this, people now who are afraid, people are unable to step in and people are concerned about being exposed, just don't put your return address on it. Be anonymous. That's okay. All of this is about voicing an opinion. That's part of our First Amendment right. And if we're going to use our First Amendment right and we're going to use the systems that are set up for us, then let's use them to the full capacity in which they are. I believe wholeheartedly in the First Amendment. I believe wholeheartedly in the need for people to voice their opinion. I think it is much more important that people voice their opinion in letter than they do in email because it ultimately requires somebody to hold something, open something, and read it. Now, the fact of the matter is that those, the fact that the, there is a too many pieces of mail for them to be able to manage that flow is not our problem. That's their problem. They're supposed to be the ones that are in the process of governance. And we know very well that their only process of governance is trying to rape and pillage the United States for themselves. But let them know. We can target border, border agencies. We can go to border control checkpoints. We can find names of people and we can mail to them. And we can overwhelm them. This has two major effects. One, it takes the nameless and faceless bureaucrat and it elevates them to let them know that we know who you are. We know who you are and we're holding you accountable. Number two is that it overwhelms them with a responsibility and an accountability for letters in whatever, whatever way they want to deal with it. If they decide that they're going to have to dispose of a million pieces of mail, then that's a very heavy cost and burden upon themselves or their agency. It also treads in very dangerously on the edge of what's legal and illegal. And if they do this illegally in certain agencies and get rid of letters and don't respond to them, then they create another crime. All of this is simply using the system for what the system was supposed to do, but now making sure that we do it in mass, in unison, and do it in such a magnificent way that ultimately the system comes crashing down. This would create gridlock in theory. This could create gridlock in government. I guess I should say this with a great warning. Warning, patriots, be cautious, because this might cause such gridlock in our government that it would cease to function. It might cause such chaos in D.C. that they would have gridlock with vehicles and delivery and unable to have the burden, unable to deal with the burden of mail. They might even force them to start stacking mail outside, outside and creating pollution and litter on the streets. Be careful. We don't want to overdo this too much, I must tell you, because this is the warning of a good American that cares so deeply about our, our corrupted capital that I wouldn't want them to have an unnecessary burden on their life. No, we want all the burden on their life as we can possibly make. They've, they've deserved it. They've earned it. They've worked hard to receive it. 
And now if I could make this 100 million letters a day, I would do it. If I could snap my fingers and have every person in what they call MAGA write 10 letters a day, that would be 80 to 100 million letters a day. And I would see to it that that would be done for a year with every single name we could identify in D.C. and in our government agencies around the nation to let them understand that there's 80 million pissed off Americans that are tired of seeing their country ravaged. And to create such an enormous burden on their lives with mail that stacks up so high that it would be higher than their homes, more than the halls could handle, and their lives would be so burdened by simply people letting them know in writing they literally wouldn't be able to breathe or function anymore. That would be glory. That would be what we call nonviolent resistance. And it would make a point to them that we are not going to stop burying them in mail until they start changing the policies. And oh, by the way, along with that, send your letter to the IRS letting them know you're going to have your first and second extension and that you're not going to do anything because as they become paralyzed in their own mail system, they're not even going to be able to process taxes. So be prepared. This is the war of unconventional warfare. This is when you use the systems against itself. This is how you win. This is how we do this righteously. This is how we do this legally. And this is how we voice our opinion well within our constitutional rights. So I encourage you to dream, to pray on this, and let's see what we can do. Because I think we're on to something here. And I will tell you, this wasn't just me. This was a nice little nudge of God last night. The Holy Spirit poured into my heart. And I knew when it touched, I began to laugh and realized how fragile this great system is. So just imagine... And the United States, the great, powerful United States government, brought to its knees because its citizens simply wrote letters. I think that's a pretty good story. Patriots, let's pray. Father God, we come to you today very humbled and blessed. And we just ask, Father, as we are here today, just for a blessing, a blessing of, to inspire hearts to write letters and to start organizing, to come to a place where we can launch a campaign, where we simply voice our objections, even provide scripture perhaps in every letter we send, to let those that know on the recipient side that we're not happy with the way things are, that they're violating the Constitution, that they're violating their oath, that they're involved with crimes against humanity, and that there are consequences for such. Father, we just are praying that all of this as we pray for their souls and we pray this through our letters of delivery, that this blessing would rise to a tsunami, that it wouldn't be just one letter and not even a hundred letters, but rather a million or two million or three million letters a day to each of these people that we're talking about. So overwhelming to the agencies and those that have decided to walk astray amongst the people to try to rape and pillage a nation, that they would be burdened with the cost, the expense, the overwhelming responsibility of managing the true voices of the people that don't come in terms of electronics, but arrive in a form of a tangible letter in which ultimately they have to read and respond to. So Father, we just pray now for the blessings on this motion and this mission, a nonviolent resistance to this evil tyranny, something that is not digital, but is actually quite primitive, truly out of the text of Jeremiah 6.16, seeking the ancient paths. So let us seek the ancient paths, Father, and let us use the tools of the ancient paths to blister the current technological world that thinks, that thinks it's so superior. Bless us in this hour, guide us, and, and protect us in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. There's a principle in warfare that's pretty important to understand, and it's low-tech meets high-tech. Low-tech, ultimately, when well-deployed, will defeat high-tech because it's not as traceable. It's not as easy to, to destroy. It doesn't have the electronics in it that it allows it to be vulnerable. 
A great example of this is in Black Hawk Down, the movie, if you've seen it, or otherwise known as Somalia. What happened there is that Black Hawk helicopters were shot down by RPG rockets. RPG rockets were not considered an anti-aircraft weapon. They were an anti-tank weapon. It has no warhead that can home in on anything. It wasn't designed to be a ground-to-air weapon system, except the guerrillas deployed them from rooftops. They shot them in volleys. And because they shot them in volleys, ultimately, one or more would hit something as it flew through. They had no heat-seeking element on them. They had no targeting system on it other than open sights. Yet they created such a wall of these rockets flying in that it ultimately took out a, a couple of the aircraft coming in on the, on the raid in Somalia. Low-tech defeats high-tech. When we talk about letters, this is old. This is traditional. This is taking us right to our roots as a nation. Our founding fathers wrote letters. Our founding fathers had fantastic penmanship. They wrote their ideas on paper. So let's revive it. Let's go back to 1776. Let's go back to 1775. Let's go back to 1770s. Let's set the case and the condition for our founding, as our founding fathers did, with our protests to the people that are ruling us. Let that, let's let them know how disappointed we are and who they are. Let's let, but let's let them know by letter. Let's make this happen. So in the steps going forward, we'll come up with an idea of launch. We'll see how many people we can sign up to get a launch date. And we'll talk about this more. But I think we're on to something. I think we can set a launch date and we can set a, a list of names to go after. And it will be up to each individual to take on the responsibility and accountability to do just that. This isn't about hand-holding. It's about making a choice. It's not about being pandered and led along. It's about making a choice. Do you want to help save this nation and do so through a nonviolent resistance? Or do you simply want to ponder around, complain, and wring your hands and wonder if something can be done? We have the power in the simple force of letters to literally shut down our government and put our, and bring our nation literally to its knees logistically. All because of the volume of letters in the system can be so overwhelming and so great that it can't handle that volume and it will totally make a point of who's in control. This is a country run by we the people, not by an elite few. And in spite of their attempts to pander to us and talk to us from Davos and talk to us about how we need to be treated better, these arrogant people still don't understand who holds the keys to the kingdom. We do, not them. So it's time to take it back. And we begin with the first shot across the bow to overwhelm them with letters. Let's see how they handle it. We'll pivot from there. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I will see you Sunday morning for Coffee and Jesus. We have our normal prayer and healing session every Sunday. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deepest end. Oh, I want to feel something. Let me get back in my body.